pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you this night and ask that you would take this service, that you would use it to your honor and glory, that you would give us wisdom and grace to be your servants in these last days, that you would teach us more about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Need an outline. I think there are some in the back there. If not, you can run some off. Wave your hand there. And uh, we are just in the beginning stages. This is lesson three of uh, a study of theology. We're going to go through all the different parts. And this is our second lesson. We're going to start with the study, the doctrine of Christ. And uh, last week we went through what Christ said about himself. And uh, this week we're going to just look at uh, how Christ is pictured in the Bible. And so we're literally going to go from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 22 because this is... This book is about Jesus Christ. Um, And we start here. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, most of the time, even if you're nominally Christian, you uh, attend some church that calls itself Christian, uh, and uh, they're, they're... usually pretty straight on the doctrine of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, yet one God. 1 John 5, 7. Uh, There is a reason why the new versions like to take that verse out. Uh, It is the clearest, simple statement on the Trinity uh, of, uh, of God, the deity of Jesus Christ, And so, in the beginning, it says God created the heaven and the earth. Now, I have uh, no pretense of being a Hebrew scholar. I do know a little bit. The word for God there is Elohim. And in the Hebrew, anytime you have that I am, it's plural. And, And that bears itself out because let's just skip down to verse 26, if you would. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, where did that plural pronoun come in? Uh, why, who was God talking to? He certainly wasn't talking to man because Adam hadn't been created yet. Amen? Amen. Uh, He wasn't talking to any of the animals simply because they don't talk, number one. Number two, God said, let us make man, and the animals do not have creative powers. I know dolphins speak, and and, uh, they actually talk to people and all of those things. And if you really believe that, see me after church. And uh, maybe you'll buy the Brooklyn Bridge too, amen? We'll put it, we'll put it toward the camp fund. Uh, but the simple truth of the matter is, God was speaking to himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And every time I think about that, I hope you don't mind hearing my story again. Um, 
we had a man visit our church for a little while, and, and uh, he was waiting for his opportunity, and being a young preacher, I was rather ignorant of what he was waiting for, and he finally invited uh, me over to his house, and, and uh, he uh, began to talk about things, and all of a sudden he said, I can explain the Trinity. And as soon as I heard that, I knew we were going to have fun. And so he gets this very impressive envelope and he says, I have this copyrighted at the United States Copyright Bureau, uh, my explanation of the Trinity. And uh, he, he goes on to explain. He says, now listen, the simplest way I can do this, he said, is you are Pete Montoro, the father, and you are Pete Montoro, the pastor, he said, and you're Pete Montoro, the husband of your wife. And, and those are just three different ways uh, or, or positions that you hold. And, and uh, I looked at him, I said, oh, I said, this is what is theologically called the modal view of God, that God changes his person as he changes his duty. I said, this isn't anything new. I said, but there's only one problem with your explanation. I said, if Pete Montoro, the pastor, starts having conversations with Pete Montoro, the father, the guys in the little white suits are going to come and carry me away because I'm only one person. And if I pretend that I have more than, or think that I have more than one personality, I got problems. God is not schizophrenic, my friend. He is God. Amen? And when God said, let us, and by the way, what's the best commentary on the Bible? The Bible. Now, there is no way, I mean, we could spend the whole night just on this subject, but go to John chapter 1. And we're, going, we're not going to exhaust every verse, but we're, we're going to cover some of the main ones. And uh, let's look at John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, do you notice how that is phrased there? It says, in the beginning. That means when the beginning began, the Word already was. Uh, that means the Word was in existence before the beginning began. And uh, I know that's not complicated to most of us that are familiar with the Bible, but sometimes we've got uh, people that want to argue about that. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made. That was made. Now, let's just flip back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. A summary. Verse 3, and God said. And verse uh, 6, and God said. So, God the Father said, Jesus Christ did. And what does it say here in the last part of verse 2? And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So there we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit active in creation. And we'll 
discuss that further as, as we deal with this doctrine of the Trinity. But we have Jesus Christ presented as the Creator. That means He made everything that is. And so when we get to Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus is writing a letter to His church there, He is explaining to them something that has been twisted up by so many people. He he says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, your friendly Jehovah's Witnesses got a hold of that verse and said, See there? He's the first thing that was created. Now, if we only had one of those contestant buzzers to press, because that is the wrong answer, he is not the first thing that created. He is the thing that created. That's why he is the beginning of creation. He is the source. He is from where creation came. And so, what we have here is we have Jesus presented as the Creator, co-equal with God, working hand in hand, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to make everything that now is out of nothing. Now, you'll hear this phrase so often. I started out with nothing, and now I have some great corporation, or... You know what? That is absolutely not true. Nobody starts out with nothing. You have to have something. You cannot make something out of nothing. Only God can do that. Now, we can take things that don't appear... Uh, the famous story about the man at the nuclear power plant. They, they were having problems. They were going into emergency shutdown mode. And somebody says, you got to call this guy. He'll fix it. So he comes in, walks around. He says, give me a crayon. And he puts an X on a pipe. And he says, take that apart. And, and the plant's fixed, walks out. They get the bill the next week. $10,000. And the president of the, the manager of the thing said, hey, could, you, could you itemize that bill for me, please? He says, we got a problem. You weren't in the plant for 10 minutes. And, and, and uh, we just like that itemized. And he said, sure, crayon, $1.25. Knowing how to use it and where to put the mark, balance of the bill. Amen. Uh, thoughts are worth something. You start out with something in your head. You can build and make great things. But you're not starting with nothing. You got that brain that thinks from somewhere. Amen? And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the Creator. That's why He has the right to tell you what to do. As a young pastor, I used to tell people, you know, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I don't say that anymore. Because I really am here to tell you what to do. It's not what I want you to do or what I think is best for you. 
The reason I tell you, because Jesus has put some things down in here as the Creator of behavior that we ought to be involved in and behavior we ought not to be involved in. And my job as a preacher is to tell you what Jesus said. And your job as a listener, as a member of this church especially, is to go home and make sure that what was taught was in the Bible. That's how we work together. Because if Jesus said it, He's, I mean, this is the application. If Jesus gave us direction as the Creator, we as the created or createe, if you want to put that in there, have a responsibility to obey. Every once in a while, We'll be working and Stephen will say, well, I, I, I don't think we ought to do it that way. And uh, I'll try to be as kind as I can, which isn't very kind sometimes. But uh, the simple truth is we've been over this ground before. Excuse me. You see, I'm not here to work for you. You're here to work for me. Will you please do what I ask you to do? Just be... just. Please indulge me as the boss today and, and do, do it my way, please. And we would never think about explaining our boss's job to them, would you? You wouldn't do that, would you, Brother Franz? It gets you in a lot of trouble. Let's... Not do that to God. It's amazing to me. You go to the doctor, and you know it's it's wise to listen to what the doctor says. Would you give it granted that they might just know a little bit more about your health than you do? Most of the time, every once in a while you run into a real quack, but for the most part, they know what you ought to do. If if one of our police officers happens to step up to you and make a suggestion. I always tell visitors this. Would you do what they say? Just just listen. Uh, you will be far better off than turning around saying, what did you say to me? Who do you think you are? You're going to get in trouble. I promise you. It's not going to work out that way, work out well. If you try to explain to them their job. But why does everybody... Well, preacher, that's your interpretation. You wouldn't treat your doctor like that now, would you? And yet we treat Jesus like that on many occasions, do we not? You see, He is... The Creator. And this next one, we're not going to have time to check every verse, and, and some of them I'm just going to talk about, and you'll have to go back and read. But Jesus appeared in many instances. I, I often have people ask, well, where was Jesus in the Old Testament? Well, He was at creation. We, we think fairly well substantiated that from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, he appeared as the angel of the Lord. 
In, in your King James Bible, you'll see uh, the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That was their way of delineating or putting in our text so that we could understand in English that that's talking about Jehovah God. And so the angel of the Lord, you'll notice that most of the time in your Bible it's capitalized. It's a title that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He called to Abraham on Mount Moriah. And uh, let's just take a look there. Genesis 22. Limber up your fingers. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight. Look at verse 11. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he, the angel of the Lord, said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do uh, thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son. What's that next phrase? From me. This is the angel of the Lord speaking. And he says, I know that you believe in God because you've not withheld your son from me. And so, the angel of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. He appeared to Moses in the burning bush and spoke unto him and said, Put your shoes off because the place where you're standing is holy ground. He stood in the way. Brother Franz is going to be teaching about Balaam. Uh, I, I, I love the story of Balaam. Uh, just because the donkey is so smart and the prophet so stupid. I, I just like the story of Balaam. And, and we often end up there if we're not careful. But it was the angel of the Lord that stood in the way. By the way... It was the angel of the Lord that came down in Judges chapter 2 and pronounced judgment against Israel. He appeared in a physical form and called Israel together and said, You disobeyed me. You didn't conquer the land and drive out the inhabitants thereof. Therefore, I'm going to leave them. And uh, we could go through about another 50 or so references of the angel of the Lord. But suffice it to say, the angel of the Lord was... The physical appearance of God in the Old Testament, which is Jesus Christ. We come up and we'll find at least two places where God appeared as a man. Look at Genesis 18, if you're still there, chapter 22. And verse 1, it says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamer, and he sat in the tent door at the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself to the ground. And he talked to them, and uh, let's go down to verse 10. 
And he, the angel there, the man that appeared unto Abraham, and he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife will, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxen old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Starting in verse 17, one of the most famous passages in Bible. In the Bible, if you're a lawyer, uh, this is actually one of the passages that most lawyers study. They study Moses talking to God and pleading to Israel, and they study Abraham uh, interceding and... Uh, uh, asking God, if there's 50 souls in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you destroy the righteous with the ungodly? And he says, no. By the time they're done, it's down to 10. And it says, and the Lord left communing with Abraham. You see, God did appear in a human form. And we know who has that human form that claims to be God. It's the Word. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this next one is a big topic, and we could spend the whole night on it. Jesus is the Messiah of the Jewish people. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read all the prophecies in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and uh, um, all throughout uh, our Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. Jesus accepted worship as God. I always got this problem with people who say, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. You know, in my mind, it's like that bumper sticker we see around New York every once in a while says, no fear. Whenever I see that bumper sticker, it says... And, oh, fear. Uh, I know there's a lot of other things that are missing, too. Like brains, thought process, common sense, understanding of life. I mean, there are things out there that you ought to be afraid of. Amen? Uh, there are things that you ought to have some fear about. And Jesus accepted worship from the blind man he gave sight to in John chapter 9. He said, who is he that I might believe on him? And Jesus said, I am he. And the man falls down and worships him. You have to understand, this was a Jewish man. The Jews understood one thing. There is one God. And you're to love him with all your heart with all your mind, with all your might, and you're not to worship any false gods. First, second of the Ten Commandments. Read Deuteronomy chapter 6. This was drilled into the mind and soul of every Jewish person, and yet, when Jesus rode the donkey through the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem, guess what? 
the Pharisees said, don't you hear what they're saying? They're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They're calling you the blessed one, the anointed one, the Messiah. That was what the words meant, the Christ. They said, tell him to be quiet because we know and you know that you're not the Christ. And what was Jesus' answer in Luke chapter 19? He said, if these should hold their peace, he said, the stones would immediately cry out. He said, creation would begin to cry if man held his voice because I am the creator. I am the angel of the Lord. I am the appearance of a man. In fact, Isaiah 53 tells us that his appearance was so much like a man that they would esteem him only to be a man. And yet, he is the Messiah. The word Messiah, the word Christ, is the same word, just the difference between Hebrew and Greek. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Nathaniel said, Thou art the King of Israel. Thou art the Son of God. And Jesus accepted this worship because that's who he is. How many times, excuse me, did he tell his disciples? I've got to suffer first. And then I will come back to rule and reign. And we'll get to that one in just a few moments. But he is the head. He is the founder. Uh, It is his body, the local church. This is how Jesus is presented in the Bible. This is how we know about him. He said, uh, some people get all excited about that. Behold, thou art Peter, and upon this rock. But what did Jesus say? He said, I will build my church. I mean, read the rest of the chapter. Before chapter 16 was done, he was saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. To whom? Peter. That, that's a pretty poor rock to build the church on, don't you think? And uh, we don't have time to chase that one down, but read what Peter said in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, Jesus is the rock. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Jesus is the rock. Jesus, Luke chapter 20, the parable of the vineyards, I am the rock. Uh, Jesus said he would build his church. When did his church start? Well, I I think Matthew 16 is a pretty good place to start. Amen? Uh, Somebody said, well, what about Pentecost? Well, my, my favorite line is simply this. On the day of Pentecost... There were 3,000 people added to the church. If the church wasn't already functioning, you can't add to it. It's an opening deposit at the bank, right? Uh, You can't make a regular deposit until you have opened the account. Jesus said, I will build my church. Therefore, I believe Jesus started the church during his earthly ministry. I also like to just throw this application out there. It is the Protestants 
who love this idea of Jesus starting the church on the day of Pentecost. Why? Because Jesus was already in heaven on the day of Pentecost. By the way, he was in heaven when Martin Luther put his thesis on the barn door, I mean the castle church door uh, at Wittenberg. Didn't mean to say that derogatory, uh, but uh, the, uh, when John Calvin wrote his institutes, Jesus was in heaven. If Jesus had started his earthly church, then what Luther Calvin and others of their ilk started wasn't Jesus' church because it had already been started. Amen? And by the way, Jesus gave a promise that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. Therefore, that would mean his church had to be continuously in existence. Now, he explains in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 that individual churches are going to have problems. But that his church is going to be in existence in a physical, local assembly from Matthew chapter 16 until he comes back for his church. You say, that's an incredible statement. How do you make that statement? Well... Go through your New Testament. It was to the churches of Galatia. It was to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Philippi. When Jesus wrote his letters to the church in the book of Revelation, he addressed them as individual, physical, local bodies. And so, this idea of the universal, invisible thing was just something that someone put together. I, I actually found this printed in a book, and I've never been able to find the book again. So I can't verify the quote. This is why I was a student in Bible college, and that was a couple of years ago. But Philip Melanchthon was sitting beside Martin Luther in the Luther-Eck debates. And Eck, of course, was the Catholic priest... And Luther was on trial for his life in front of the uh, emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. And uh, they were going back and forth. And Mr. Eck saved his final question, the one he knew was going to destroy Luther. He said, the Catholic Church is the visible, universal church of Jesus Christ on earth. Now, Mr. Eck knew that Martin Luther, being raised as a Catholic priest, believed that. Uh, we don't give Mr. Eck the credibility of making an honest statement because nothing so corrupt and so murderous could ever be Jesus' church. Amen? He says, what right do you have to start your own church? Mr. Eck was a little closer to the truth than he knew about. And in the book I read on the life of Philip Melanchthon, it said that he just did a play on words. He took invisible, universal, instead of visible, universal, and kind of turned it on its head. And, of course, Luther, with his bravado and his power of presence and his 
big voice and all of those things that he had carried the day and won the debate and embarrassed Mr. Eck. And the Universal Invisible Church was born on a pure whim and fancy. At least according to the quote in that book. Jesus' church, look at it in your Bible, has always been a physical, local assembly. He addressed them as such. He gave them individual directions and individual correction. He is the founder of his church. Read Revelation chapter 1. When he appears to John on the island of Patmos, how does he appear to him? And Lord willing, uh, next Thursday night we're going to talk about the descriptions of Christ. We're going to go... Uh, through the book of Daniel and through the book of uh, through the prophecies and, and through the book of Revelation as Jesus is described as he appears. This is all about who Jesus is. Now remember something. Everything that we covered last week on how Jesus is the light of the world, he is the bread of life, he is uh, um, the good shepherd, he is uh, all of these things that he claimed to be the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Everything we're doing tonight is on top of all that. That's how great Jesus is. We could spend the rest of our life trying to study about Jesus. And we'd never get it all in. It is such a huge subject that I, I warn you... One of the reasons why I'm trying to go through so much in one night is because I don't want us to lose sight uh, of the things that we covered last week. And because He is all of these things. He is the returning Lord. He gave us His promise. The angels, as Jesus ascended into heaven, said, He is coming back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says He is coming back. 1 Corinthians 15 I don't think we need to spend a lot of time here, but He is the provider of our salvation. He is both the sacrifice and the priest. He is both the offering and the offerer. And we would have to start in Genesis and go the whole way through to Revelation again to get that one in. But... You look at the, the references that are, that are here. He is the great high priest. He is the one to whom we go to. I didn't put the reference in Timothy that he is the only mediator. There is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Jesus offered himself to pay for our sins. There's no other place you can get to salvation other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the revelation of God. The Bible in the book of Hebrews said, God has spoken to us sundry times, different times in different places and different means, but in the end of the world, He sent His Son. When you open up the book of Revelation, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. You look at all of the power that is in the book of Revelation. All of the things that happen somewhere between 
two-thirds and three-quarters of the world's population is going to be annihilated in less than seven years during the tribulation period. Just think about that. And yet, when it's all over, Jesus is going to take this entire universe like one of those little cardboard cartoon things where they take this three-dimensional object and fold it all up into one little thing and God's going to cover his hands and it's going to be gone. It says the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. The elements are the basic building blocks of matter. You can only break it down so far. Jesus said he's going to do away with the elements before he creates a new heaven and a new earth. I wonder what the new heaven and the new earth is going to look like. But he did a pretty wonderful job on this one. I can't wait to see the new one. Amen? He is the eternal God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is God the Father speaking to God the Son. In Revelation chapter 1, he says, I am he that was, that is, and is to come. He says, I am the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. And I love this last verse, and I want us to to turn to Revelation chapter 21 here. Verse 23. It's talking about the new Jerusalem. There's no temple. And verse 23 says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of the Lord did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. Go back to John chapter 1. In him was... Life and the life was the light of men. He is the light of the new Jerusalem. If there's any purpose in this series of lessons, is just to give us a little better understanding of who Jesus is. The application to that simply is this. Can you imagine such a great person being willing to take time to hear your prayers personally? I mean, how many of you have ever had a problem and you tried to get a hold of somebody important to solve your problem? I mean, when you're a Bible college student, usually that means the dean's office, but... uh, Uh, If we keep moving uh, at work, you know, normally if you're having problems with your boss, you need to go up two or three levels to straighten out a problem with your boss. Have you ever tried to talk to the big boss? That's hard to do now, isn't it? You know, just try to talk to our mayor about getting a few things straightened out in New York City. Think it's going to happen? 
Oh, you might get to talk to him, but it's going to be in one ear and out the other. He has his agenda, and if you're not on it, uh, I made the mistake several years ago. I got a letter from our congresswoman, and uh, she wrote me a letter and says, What do you think about, and for some strange reason, the only time in all of history I know about, I actually agreed with her on an issue. I got a nice letter back. In fact, I got another letter. What do you think about this? Well, I really disagreed with her on the second issue. You know what? I've never heard from her since. And uh, don't think I ever will. But Jesus is a little more important. And yet, you know what he said? He said, my job is to sit on the right hand of the Father and intercede for you. He said, if you want to meet the Father, guess who you're going to have to come to first? Uh, You're going to have to come to me first. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I want to dwell with you. I want to be in you. You know, sometimes we think about children that we might be too hard or too controlling on them. Let me, let me explain something to you, parents. God is our Father. Amen? You know how He keeps track of us? He puts His Holy Spirit inside of us so that we cannot even think a thought that he is not totally aware of. Think if we tried to imitate that with our children, we'd do a little better job of being parents. Amen? It's important who Jesus is. And as I said at the outset, there is no way that we can cover all of the errors that are taught about Jesus. There's just no way. There's too many wrong teachings. But if you'll study your Bible, all you got to do is match them up. And you're going to find out that the Jesus of the Protestant church isn't the same one that's in the Bible. That the Jesus of the Catholic Church isn't the same one that the Bible talks about. That the Jesus of the Orthodox Church... I mean, how many of you have ever met a Mormon and they'll say, Oh, we believe in the same Jesus you do. No, I do not. Yes, Jesus is a man. Yes, Jesus is God. But you're never going to be like him. Neither am I. He's a little better than that. Amen? It's not the same person. Study the original. And all of a sudden, the fakes stick out like a sore thumb. He is so great. Yet he's got time for me. You ever wondered 
how much work it is for the Lord to be patient with us. If you really want to learn how to be patient with others, and I'm speaking to myself here too, guess what? Just sit down and contemplate how patient God has been with you over the years. How many times have you gone to Jesus and said, I'm sorry? And he says, I know, but we'll move on anyway. Amen? That's who Jesus is. But he's all of these things too. Don't separate him from being the Creator. Don't separate him from the angel of the Lord. Don't separate him from all of the great things. And don't, don't stop looking forward to walking the streets of the Jerusalem, New Jerusalem. And there's no need of any light in the city. Because his light goes through the walls. His light permeates every corner. There is no darkness in that city whatsoever, for the Lamb is the light thereof. And yet, He still hears me when I pray. And all God's people say, Heavenly Father, we just ask that You would take this certainly inadequate and summary Lord, so, so little has been said tonight about the greatness and the position and the presentation of our Lord to us through the pages of this book called the Bible. Yet, Lord, I pray that it would be enough that would challenge us, that would warm our hearts, that would convict us, help us to love you more. Please, dear Lord, help us to be worthy of that title, Christian. To carry your banner in your church. We ask that you would work in hearts and lives tonight. Bring us closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed. And uh, the altar's open if you want to just slip out for a few moments.